Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Now, I knew this Shabbat was going to be a challenge, and among Messianic rabbis, this Shabbat, this Shabbat has its own name. Some Shabbats are Shabbat Teshuvah or Shabbat Shuvah, the Sabbath of repentance. Another one's called Shabbat Gadol, the great Sabbath. And among Messianic rabbis, jokingly, this is called Shabbat tryptophan (laughs) and that's that substance supposedly within turkey that makes everybody go to sleep and I knew this would be challenging in in a survey taken of messianic rabbis which was the most difficult Shabbat to speak on it wasn't the Sabbath of Passover or the Sabbath connected with Hanukkah it was the Shabbat tryptophan, the Shabbat that comes right after Thanksgiving. So I know I have my work cut out for me today, especially since I want to share much Scripture with us. So I'm going to ask you to be on your best focus if you can. If you have a Bible, it would be very helpful because since we don't have the PowerPoints. And let me thank the, the, those in the back that have been working. Try. We don't know what happened with the PowerPoint. It happens once in a while. We don't know why. I know where we live, we had a a major uh, electrical outage at our house that surprised us a couple of nights ago. It lasts for a couple hours. So we don't know what it is, but we'll work on it, see what we can do. So thank you for your patience, and thank you, worship team. Literally, have you ever heard of the saying, pulling a rabbit out of the house? I know rabbits aren't necessarily kosher, but they did a great job figuring out how to get us to sing and worship the Lord. Now that baton is passed to me to get your attention. And if we're going to focus on anything, may it be upon the Lord and his word to Shabbat. There's a lot we can think about, and I have a lot on my mind, as you heard, as I was praying for uh, our brothers and sisters in Israel and also the believers in Gaza. We think about, there's a lot to think about, but let's get into the word today. And today, I'd like us to start with 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 1. And I'm going to read a narrative that involves Hannah or Hannah. I'm going to intersplice or use the different, both the Hebrew and the English names here so that it's an educational device. So we'll know that these two are the same names. Hannah or Hannah and Hannah are the same name. They're just pronounced a little bit differently and come from the same language source with this Hebrew. And we're going to, we're going to consider Hannah. Hannah. We're going to consider her. You're probably familiar with the story or the narrative about her. If not, you'll be more familiar today as we go through it. So we're in Shmuel Aleph, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read through this from the New King James Version 
her story, what happened with her. And it may seem like it's not so significant, but hopefully by the end of this message, I'll have convinced you somewhat that what happened with Hannah, with Hannah, was significant. So here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramatim Tzophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Yerocham, the son of Eliyahu, the son of Tohu, the son of Tzuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Elkanah went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Pinchas, the Kohanim, the priest of the Lord, were there at Shiloh. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And Penina also provoked Hannah severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So it was year by year when Penina went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. Now it talks next about Hannah's vow. Verse 8, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. Then Elkanah, Hannah's husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the Kohen, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then Hannah made a vow and said, Adonai Tzavaot, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Verse 12. And it happened as Hannah continued praying before the Lord that Eli, Eli watched her mouth. Now, Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, Eli, thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, 
I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicated drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. And now we read about Eli's blessing in verse 17. Then Eli, Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And Elohe Yisrael and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And Hanah said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. God hears. Verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, our final verse. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Shemuel, Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. What a riveting text this is, riveting text. The text we just read is, is, is noteworthy for many reasons, some of which I want to share with you today. And like other narratives that we find in Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 1, at least these verses that we have just read, and going further, I would encourage you to study this chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 1 speaks of challenging life circumstances, speaks of strained relationships and personal interactions, and it also speaks about the ways of the Lord, the works of the Lord, and his deeds in the midst of it all. Hannah had challenging life circumstances. If you listen carefully or read that text, she had challenging life circumstances. And I guess we can probably relate to that. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I imagine if we went around this auditorium today that each of us could say, in our life, we have faced some challenging life circumstances. Maybe not the same as Hannah. Maybe, yes, the same as Hannah, but challenging life circumstances. And her, her challenge, she had a lot of challenges, just what we glean from the first 20 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1. But her husband, Elkanah, had two wives. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a challenge right away. Don't you think so? He had two wives, Hannah, Hannah, and Penina. And that's stated in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Penina had both sons and daughters. But Hannah had no children at all, so Penina, one wife, has both sons and daughters, and Hannah has none. And beyond Hannah's own inner struggles, Penina became what we might call a chief or a major antagonist of Hannah. A major antagonist of this woman with no children who was married to the same husband as Penina was. And in fact, Penina seems, if you read the text carefully, she seemed to, she likely delighted 
and making Hannah miserable. I mean, after all, some people will try to make you miserable because they feel that's a power play, that they're over you. They have something over you. And we don't know how Panina actually was, but this text doesn't paint her in a favorable light. She became a chief antagonist of Hannah. She seemed to delight making Hannah miserable. And it says that she did it year by year. It was a continuous thing. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody that makes you miserable for a short time. It's another thing to have somebody makes you miserable day in and day out and year in and year out. I mean, you agree there's a difference between that. Someone gets your goat for one day and someone that gets your goat for 365 and 366 on leap years. And besides all this, and I think sometimes this is overlooked in the story of Hana and the story, besides all this, and her constantly being reminded by her chief antagonist, Panita, that she had no children, Hannah had her own inner struggles that she went through. And sometimes those can be some of the most difficult struggles we have in life. They can be struggles we don't even, you know, tell people about. So understandably, when we look at first. Samuel chapter 1, the first 20 verses which we read, we can understand how Panina's actions toward Hannah, towards Hannah, cut her deeply inside. Have you ever had someone say something to you that cuts you deeply inside? Probably. Some of us deal with it differently than others. For some, they just keep going. It's like water off a duck's back. And for others, they keep ruminating on the things that were said. Can you imagine what a struggle? It's not really an imagination. It's a narrative. It's a text from Scripture. It's a true story of what happened with Hannah, with Hannah, having to deal with this constantly. Because in those days, Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 tell us this. If you listen carefully as I read it, it said Penina provoked. Several other English translations, instead of saying provoked, they use another word that maybe resonates with us. It says Penina provoked. She taunted Hannah severely to make her miserable. Some translations say just to make her feel bad. She continually provoked and taunted Hannah to make her feel bad. And the reason she did that was, it says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, as verse 7 tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 7, so it was year by year. Now, I like the idea of year to year. I mean, we think about Passover, Leshanah Ba'ah. In the year to come, Jerusalem in Jerusalem. We think about the yearly stuff, but what about Hannah's yearly experience of Panina doing all that she could to taunt and provoke her? And her being, in a sense, Hannah being somewhat connected to Panina, couldn't get away from Panina because Panina was also Elkanah's wife, just as Hannah was. Verse 7 again, so it was year by year, when Penina went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked, she taunted Hannah. And listen to the reaction of what it says. It says, therefore, 
Hannah wept and did not eat. How many of you believe that what Panina was doing to Hannah was absolutely impacting her? So much so, it says that she weeps. The Hebrew is very strong there. She, she weeps. She weeps. And not only does she weep, she weeps and she doesn't eat. All told, it seems that Hannah, Hannah had much inner pain due to her personal struggles that she faced and due to Panina's taunts and due to that whole scenario that 1 Samuel chapter 1 paints for us. Hannah likely grew more desperate. It's not likely she did. The text tells us she grew more desperate with each passing day and more desperate with each passing year and also probably more desperate as each fiery dart from Panina came her way, and they did. She taunted and provoked Hannah. Well, we have a spiritual battle, too, and maybe you notice the term fiery dart. It's a biblical term, and we have a spiritual battle. You know, think of this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. The real core battle is not against flesh and blood. And also, there are those people that can serve as tools for the adversary of our soul. Maybe you've encountered them in your life. <laughs> Some of us at one time may have been that very tool. And hallelujah for the grace of Messiah Yeshua that he transforms us and he takes us out of that kingdom of darkness and brings us into his holy kingdom. So then rather than being servants of the, the enemy, our goal, our desire, our hope, our aspiration is to be a vessel for the Lord. And friends, life is very short. I hope you are walking out that aspiration now to be a vessel for the Lord because life is very short. Please don't ask me how many funerals I've officiated at. All ages. I hope your aspiration is to be a vessel of the Lord, to be a servant of God, not tomorrow, not the week after, but first now and then tomorrow and the week after. And as believers in Yeshua, in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, we should seek to serve as the tools of the Lord above all else, as his vessels for his will to be done. Fiery darts. Can you say those two words with me? Fiery darts. Let's try that again. Fiery darts. I don't know what kind of feeling you get from that, but I know that it tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, where that term occurs. It says, above all, take the shield of emunah, faith, with which you will be able to quench quench, interesting term, rather than extinguish, that you will be able to quench all the fiery darts. There seems to be a fluidity to the fiery darts. And there certainly was a fluidity in Panina's interactions with Hannah. Fluidly they came, week in, week in, week in, week in, year in, year in, year in. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts 
of the wicked one. How many of the fiery darts can be quenched by the shield of faith and the other armor of God that we read about Ephesians 6? How many? It says all. Because as the scripture says in 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Will you say that verse with me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let's try it that way more subjectively. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Behind the dark clouds connected to the fiery darts of life. And I'm sure if you spend just a little bit of time thinking about it, you probably have had some fiery darts thrown your way. But behind the dark clouds connected to the fiery darts that can come in our life, we will always find a silver lining. It was Englishman John Milton in 1634 who coined that phrase in his poem, Comus. He coined that, that, he, he coined that idea of silver lining and he placed it within his poem. 1634 is the first known mention of that term in print. This poet, John Milton, used the term, these terms silver lining in relationship to dark clouds, and that's where it makes that term stand out even greater, doesn't it? One thing to have silver lining was another thing to have silver lining in dark clouds. And the saying that we have now in English, most of you have heard this, you probably have used it, that saying that goes, every cloud has a silver lining, it's now used to convey the notion that no matter how bad a situation might seem to us, there is always some good aspect to it. And some people are quite adept at finding the good. But by the way, some people are quite adept at what? Finding the negative and the bad. But let's seek to find the good. Let's seek for the silver lining in the dark clouds that come into our life. And when we can, to step alongside of those who are going through some dark times and help them to see, help them to recognize the silver linings that are in their lives. Because sometimes the clouds can seem so, that dark cloud can seem so overwhelming. The difficult situations we, we face can seem so overwhelming that we don't even notice the silver linings. And that's where friendship can come in and help point someone, help them realize, oh, you know, actually there's some good that's happening here. In our trials, we should not despair. Hannah did despair, didn't she? I get the impression, and, and, and you're welcome to see it as you see it, but I get the impression that she just about had enough of it. She was in desperation and despair. She, she was, so, she was so, so difficult of a situation for a year in and year out. I'm emphasizing that for a purpose because it was unrelenting, unrelenting what was coming onto her from Penina. And she, she thought, how will I ever get out of this situation? Penina has sons and daughters, and she lets me know all the time that I don't even have a son or a daughter. And you know how her thinking can go, especially in ancient times. Maybe, well, why would my husband even love me? I can't bring an heir. 
But Hannah had at least three silver linings to the dark clouds of her life. And I want to share them with you briefly. Silver lining number one, guess what? It's her husband, Elkanah. Elkanah, her husband, is a silver lining in her dark clouds. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So there he is giving portions. In Hebrew, is manot, the same word you would use now if you were in Tel Aviv and you're ordering a falafel. And you say, give me a mana, a full order there. But what he did, he gave portions, manot, to Panina, his wife, and also to all her sons and daughters. And you can just imagine, if Hannah saw this, what she went through emotionally. Not only did she have someone that was ribbing her all the time and provoking her and taunting her, but she, she sees... The, the, Panina and all her kids getting some type of reward, but the text doesn't stop there. In verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4, it goes to verse 5. And verse 5 says, But to Hannah, to Hannah, Elkanah would give a double portion. And then it has this phrase, it's very simple Hebrew actually. This three-word, actually four words, four-word phrase says, Ki et chana ahev. Ki et chana ahev. It says that to Hannah he would give a double portion, ki et chana ahev, for he loved, and it's an intensive love, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, we could say despite no matter what, he loved Hannah. It's curious, when you look at this text, you never find that statement towards Penina. But you find that statement, ki et chana ahev, directed towards who? Towards Hannah. Elkanah, the husband, the husband of Hannah, was truly a silver lining in Hannah's life. Friends, let me extrapolate this idea to you and me today. When we think about Elkanah and his kindness and his generosity, we should not underestimate the great impact faithful love, kindness, and generosity can have on a relationship. You see all those exhibited in Elkanah. Towards Penina, yes. Towards her children, yes. But especially towards Hannah. These types of traits such as kindness, love, generosity, graciousness, mercy, these type of traits, these are found, please hear me, at the very heart and nature of the God of the universe. How many of you are glad that you find love and kindness and generosity at the very nature and heart of God and that we're being transformed and conformed to that, that that's what he wants to come out of our lives? I'm happy about that. Think of the converse, the opposite of what it was like, will be like. It's through the atoning blood and empowering resurrection from the dead of his holy son, Yeshua the Messiah, 
that God extends grace and mercy to all who call upon him in repentance and truth. Many years ago, I made that decision. Have you made that decision to follow the Lord Yeshua? Have you repented and turned from your sins to follow him and to let him be the Lord of your life? I pray so. If you haven't, then maybe Shabbat tryptophan is your time to do it. Because there's no other way by which a man can be saved or a woman except through faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. There's no other way. To put, it, put this in another statement, Yeshua put agape, agape love into action. The God kind of love, we see it in action in Yeshua and what he did. And you know what? So must we. And it's a challenge. We must live according to the love of God. We must seek to extend his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. And you know what? We, as we seek to do that, we find out that we have real-life circumstances that butt heads with that idea. There are some folks, maybe, perhaps, that you're thinking, well, I'd like to get even with that dude. There are some folks you're thinking, oh, you know, I, I would like to see, the, uh, like a friend of mine in Bible school used to say from Colorado, he says, may you be blessed with a brick, is what he used to say. Sounds like something from Tevia on Fiddler on the Roof. But we want love in action, even as Yeshua has shown us as our example. And if you think that I'm stepping out of what Scripture says, let me read you this passage. 1 Yohanan, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know agape love, God's love. By this we know love because Yeshua laid down his life for us. And please don't stop reading there. <laughs> By this we know love because Yeshua, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And then it continues, and guess what it says? And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If his was a life in action, a love in action, then so must our lives be love in action by the empowerment of God's love. And it continues in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 3 and says this, in a most tender way, I would say, my little children, 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, speech, but let us love in deed, in action, and in truth is what it says. 1 John 3, 18 again, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let it be truly at work in our life. May we love according to the way God has loved us. May we be recipients of his love and then transfers of his love to others. And if you're like me, you know that's a challenge at times. There are some people that you might consider not so lovable. Or there are some people that you really enjoy, you enjoy seeing them far away from you. But what Yeshua did for humanity will alter the eternity of all who place their trust in him. And that still avails for today. Even at this very time, when I was praying for Israel, and I continue to pray for Israel, as my family does, this very time I'm praying that God will apprehend many hearts there on both sides of that skirmish. Really, it's a war. 
that he will bring many from Gaza into the kingdom. He'll be ready from Israel into the kingdom, many from the Middle East into the kingdom, many from the United States of America into the kingdom, but there's only way, one way, and that's through Yeshua, faith in Yeshua the Messiah. So what Yeshua did for humanity will literally alter the eternity of all who will place their trust in him, and I pray that's each one of us today. For me, it's a historical moment in my life. It's well past. When I, I, there was never, there's never been a look back. Hands to the plow and straight forward. Kadima. May that be our attitude. Kadima going forward with the Lord. Because God does change his people by his spirit. He changes his people. He uses his ruach, his spirit. And as we yield to his will, as we're willing to yield to his will and we're willing to obey his word, change comes to our lives. His kind of change, a change that has real eternal meaning. And here's our ever applicable call. If you're a believer today, this is your call. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. You know what it says? It's not... A lot of big the- theological words, but it says, let all that you do be done in love. Some have wondered, well, what's the most important word in that sentence, let all that you do be done in love? Is it love? Yes, that's important. Is it do? Yes, that's important. Most people camp on the idea, let all that you do be done in love. And how this verse changes if it's let... Every once in a while, some of the things you do be done in love. <laughs> it really changes the whole meaning of it. So silver lining number one, and these are not necessarily in order of importance, but silver lining number one in Hannah's life was Elkanah, her husband, who loved her dearly, no matter her circumstance. And that brings us to silver lining number two. There are only three. There are more, but three that I'm sharing this morning. Silver lining number two in the life of Hannah. That silver lining is the most obvious one. The Lord. The Lord. At first glance, being childless as Hannah was, and having to deal with Penina's constant provocations, it may seem to be the, the main matters in Hannah's life. But when you peel this text back, and you read further in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you realize there was a deeper essence or core to Hannah than Penina's taunts or her life situation. There was a core to her, something deep down inside of her. And at the core of Hannah's very existence was her relationship with the Lord. It was to the Lord above all that Hannah poured out her soul. She cried out for his help, and she prayed for his intervention it's curious to me that it never says that she talked this, all this over with Elkanah. And actually, he asked her four questions. What's the matter with you? What's going on? But in the text, it never says she tells him everything. There's a secret place that she has with the Lord. She's lifting this request up to the Lord. I'm sure he knew he was her husband. And he loved her. He loved her deeply. He even gave her double portions. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, Hannah was in bitterness of soul. And then it says this, She was in bitterness of soul, and the very next statement says, 
you know what she did? She's in bitterness of soul. You know what she did? It says, she prayed to the Lord. Friends, please don't ever bypass in your challenge that first step of going to the Lord. It's a mistake if you do. It doesn't say she prayed to Elkanah or anything like that. She prayed to the Lord. She was in bitterness of soul, and who knows us better than the Lord himself in our challenges? He knows us from the inside out. There's nothing about us he doesn't know. There's nothing about you today he doesn't know. Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord. It said, Very strong Hebrew statement. It says she wept, and it repeats the idea of weeping. So the translator said she wept with seriousness, with anguish. She just didn't go and cry with her head on the pillow there. She double emphasized. She wept. She wept. Have you ever had a crying moment like that? Sure, you might get moved by a movie, and you find some tears. How many have had that happen? Tears trickling down. Come on, fess up, guys. You too. Tears. All right, good. There's a couple of real men out there. (laughs) But you have the tears trickling down your eyes. But that's not what this is. That's not what this Hebrew seems to say. It emphasized this weeping. Double emphasis, like a double portion of weeping. Translated, she wept in anguish. Weeping, weeping. So despite her desperation, Hannah's desperation, despite the pain she felt, can you imagine the pain she felt? Constant taunts. Despite the taunts of Penina, and despite Hannah's own inner struggles and insecurities, do you think she had some insecurities about her own self? Yes, she did. Despite all these and more that was happening in her life, in the circumstance of her life, you know what Hannah did? Hannah chose the right course of action in life. Friends, we must choose the right course of action in life. And step one is what? Go to the Lord. He's our silver lining. Go to the Lord. You know what she didn't do? She did not turn to immorality. She did not turn to pleasure-seeking. She did not turn to violence. You know, and you might say, well, that's funny. Why would she turn to violence? Well, after being taunted for years and years, you don't think she could have had it in for Panina? She could have been lying in her mind. Who knows that battle? Thinking, well, I'll get her. Next time she goes around that big rock over there, I will come out with my sword. No, she didn't do anything like that. She didn't turn to alcohol. And ironically, what does Eli, Eli the Kohen, the priest, accuse her of? Being drunk. But she didn't turn to alcohol. Not only that, it's even more confirmed when we see the merit or the, the measure or the mentioning of the Nazarite type of vow, where she said, Lord, if I get this, this if you give me a son, a razor will not touch his head. Part of a Nazarite vow was no grape anything. <laughs> no craft grape jelly, nothing. Anything that was from the fruit of the vine was forbidden in a Nazarite vow. So the irony is that Eli looks at her, we'll read this in a minute, he looks at her and thinks that she's drunk. When she's really saying, I want a Nazarite vow on my son, or at least a Nazarite, Nazar-like the vow on him if you give me him Lord you know as I've mentioned we too 
like Hannah, have the Lord as a silver lining. He's really more than that, but in our context, let me say that. And we must learn to look to him first and foremost during the trying times that come in our lives. Perhaps even this week you had some trying times. Did you look to the Lord first in those trying times? Did you acknowledge him in all your ways so that he could direct your path? Or did you just do your own thing, fly off and do your own thing? We've all done that, including myself. Inevitably, inevitably, trying times come into our lives and into our relationships. And when it comes to personal relationships, those we have with other human beings, I thought about this a long time as I was writing up these notes. I have not met anyone, and I'm not a young dude right now. Well, I am, and according to the Ancient of Days, he's the eternal one. But I have not met any single person, male, female, any adult, who has not faced challenges dealing with fellow human beings, including themselves. <laughs> I've not met a single person. And please, if you have, will you talk to me afterwards, and I'd like to go meet this person who's never had a challenge with another human being. You know, even Yeshua, too, he faced, he faced more than his share of personal antagonists and contrarians attacking him, trying to catch him, trying to cause him to stumble. He had more than his share of those type of people. And they were seeking at times, and you can read it in the Besorot in the Gospels, they were seeking at times to hurt him, to waylay him. It says at one point, then, then they decided they wanted to kill him. You know, they wanted to mislead him. They wanted to defame him. They wanted to defame his mission, defame everything about him. He had those many times in his life around him. But hold on for a second. Not only did Yeshua have contrarians and antagonists in his life, but Yeshua also had those who loved him. They loved him, and they extended generous and tender care to him. There's quite a long list of those. Some of those names we know, for example, in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, it mentions the apostles, the shlichim, the apostles. And then it uses this term, it says the apostles and certain women. And then in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, it name drops. In Luke 8, verse 3, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna. Oh, Susanna. And Susanna and others provided for Yeshua from their substance. So these women came alongside him in the ministry. On one hand, he's out there and people are trying to get him, but he had these people, and particularly godly women, who came right alongside of him and provided for him, were generous to him, and in a sense ran sometimes interference for him. And guess what? In Luke 24, verse 10, Joanna is mentioned by name, along with Miriam from Magdala, Mary Magdalene, and also Mary, the mother of Jacob, James of Cleopas. They are mentioned as among the women who took spices to Yeshua after he'd been laid in the tomb. What were they doing there? They were being kind. They were being gracious. 
They were being merciful. They were being faithful. And they were being generous to him. And they thought he had perished. Wow. What love and faithfulness. Even in the grave. They go to him. And guess what? Such divine reward, in my opinion, comes to them. Because these caring generous women who go out of the way to be there for Yeshua. It's these caring, generous women who were really the first to find the stone roll away. And the first to really get it that there's resurrection has taken place. In fact, it says when they go to tell the apostles, the apostles don't believe him. But God chose these women who had been faithful to his son throughout his life And these women that are mentioned by name in Luke 8, that's who they were, just like the apostles. But they were also the ones who had love in action, and they went to the tomb with generosity, faithfulness, care, tenderness, and all those things to be there to anoint his body with spices after the Sabbath. So their simple, selfless act of care and generosity that brought, had brought them to that empty tomb. They didn't know it was empty when they went there, but brought them to the empty tomb. And their love-filled actions required of them and opened for them a door of spiritual revelation concerning Messiah's resurrection and his lordship. All that was a result of their deeds They were, their deeds, their love, kindness, generosity brought them to the right place at the right time. These women had remained faithful to Yeshua. And you know, they probably heard all the accusations about him. All the things that were hurled his way. I'm sure there were some paninas in Yeshua's life. How many think there were paninas in Yeshua's life? I've said not panina, paninas, plural, in Yeshua's life. But the honor of being among the very first human beings and the very first human eyes to see the empty tomb goes to who? These faithful women, generous in their ways. Now, please be assured here today that your steadfast acts of kindness, your acts of caring, your generosity, sometimes you're denying yourself and you're being generous. And your selflessness for the Lord and his people shall lead to resurrection life in the Lord for you. In other words, you'll go further and further in the things of God. And it says that that same spirit that raised Messiah from the dead dwells in you. It's going to make alive your mortal body. That speaks not only of the resurrection to come, and it will come, but also new life for us right now. Because anyone who is in Messiah is a new creature, new creation. All former things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. So in our interaction with others, my friend, as we wind up here, Let us choose the high road of Scripture, the high road that Scripture affirms. It says, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, we said it prior, let all that you do be done in love. But also, the Torah tells us in Vayikra Leviticus 19, 18, I'm thankful that even this morning Josh mentioned it as he did the liturgy. It says this, you shall not take vengeance 
Did Hannah probably want to have vengeance on Penina? <laughs> Not bear any grudge against the children of your people? Do you think Hannah wanted to have a nice grudge going towards Penina? <laughs> but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that statement is sealed by the next word. It's two words in Hebrew. Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. We must also rightly relate in our spiritual community with those in spiritual authority and also with civil authority there. That's why we pray for the government, as 1 Timothy chapter 2 says. It says, first of all, pray for the government, those making decisions about you. And I want to leave you with a third silver lining in Hannah's life. And Hannah received the benefit of something that was very important in the scheme of things, was very important in the history of Israel. Hannah received a blessing from Eli, the Kohen, the priest that was at Shiloh. She received a blessing from the one who was the spiritual authority at that place that she worshipped. We read about 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and then he says this, and this comes from the priest, the main Kohen at Shiloh. He says, go in peace to her, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And you know what she says? It tells us in 1 Samuel 1, 17 and 18. And Hannah said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, and you know what she did now? It says, and she ate. And you know what happened to her after this interaction with Eli, the Kohen? It says, and her face was no longer sad. Well, we read the next verse already, verse 20. It shouldn't come as any surprise to us after all that Hannah went through. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, so it came to pass in the process of time. When it says in the process of time, it means it took some time. Sometimes we want instantaneous answers. How many of you like that? You know, we live in an instantaneous society. Uh, have you ever heard of fast food? <laughs> but the text makes sure to let us know that this didn't happen overnight. So it came to pass in the process of time, as the New King James says it, that Hannah, what happened? She conceived, and she bore a son and called his name Samuel. Now, historically, that name, Samuel, should ring a bell if you're familiar with biblical history because the, the birth of Samuel and then the ministry of Samuel marks a turning point in Israel's history. It segues us, if you look back over the history, the broad spectrum of Israel's history, it segues us from, from the, the age of the Shoftim. Can you say Shoftim? Let's try that again. Shoftim. The judges, we segue from the time of the judges to the time of the Nevi'im, the prophets of Israel. And Samuel arises. Some say he's a really the first great prophet. But he arises, and the whole history of Israel shifts. And it will be Samuel who will later anoint the king of Israel. And then the other king, the, 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 the good one. <laughs> so obviously, my friends here today, there's much more to say about this chapter. 
And thank you for, for focusing and paying attention. But I, wanted, I want to challenge you to examine this passage more on your own. What does this text say to you in your circumstance? I've spoken in general terms, but what about you? Is there something in this text for your life that he would have you know, glean, and use? And I want to summarize some of what I have attempted to share with you today with, with five significant lessons. These are simple and they're quick. Five significant lessons that I think we should learn from this passage. Number one, lesson number one, do not let your personal circumstances lord it over your life. Rather, let Yeshua the Messiah be Lord of every area of your life. So, lesson number one, and I think we see it in Hannah, though it's tough going there for her. Do not let your personal circumstances lord it over your life. Let Yeshua be the Lord of your life. Lesson number two. Our call as Messianic believers is to live exactly as Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says. Showing forth the love of God. Walking in love. His calling of love will have a great impact not only on our lives individually but also on those we interact with. But we must make sure that all that we are doing is done in God's love and for his glory. So that's lesson two. His calling of love will have a great impact on us and on others, but we must make sure that it's truly his love and it's for his glory. Lesson number three. This is at the heart of the five lessons. Lesson number three <laughs> comes from Panina comes from Panina. Be careful not to mistreat others like Panina mistreated Hannah. Do you know there was no blessing connected to that? There was no blessing there. There's no blessing found in such type of things. Does that mean at times, you, yeah, we all, we all stumble at times, but let's keep striving to walk the straight and the narrow way the redemptive way of God's love at work in and through our lives. So be careful not to mistreat others like Panina mistreated Hannah. Our words and our actions should edify and help others, not destroy them and tear them down. Now, some of us, we like some uh, humor, (laughs) facetiousness and those type of things, but be careful who's at the other end of your conversation or your direction with that. Lesson number four or five that we can learn from this text. Although we are responsible for our own course in life, we should seek guidance and spiritual blessing from authority. Submitting to godly authority is meant by God to be one of the silver linings in our life. It's important for us. I would say in my own life, everything I've done has been with submission to authority. Try to, anyway. And many of you have the same testimony. You're not just a lone ranger doing your own thing, but you go, you seek counsel from spiritual authority. And I love what Eli does, because it's quite a segue. He looks at her first, and she's stammering, and he doesn't hear any words, and she thinks he's drunk. But then at the end, he says, go in peace. May the Lord grant your request, and it happens. And lastly, number five, please never forget this important truth. And I'm on a binge of mentioning this. 
it is very, uh, how would I say, current for me personally to say this. But please don't forget this important truth. The Lord and not circumstances. The Lord and not circumstances and people. The Lord and not circumstances, people, or prevailing societal norms. The Lord has the final say in all this. Period. It's with him that we all have to do. That doesn't mean we disregard others, but it's with him that we all have to do. So let's face life circumstances, and they come, and some of them are difficult. Let's face life circumstances with that inner knowledge deep within us that God has the final word in these matters. It would be much wiser for us if we went to him to get his word in the matters that we face and ask him for his direction and guidance and his help. Because, after all, he is the Lord, not you or me. He's the Lord. Is, he, is Yeshua your Lord today? You know, I can't answer that for you. But I know we can't pull the rug over God's eyes either, so to say. Is he your Lord today? Everyone sees our personal, our personal answer to that question of whether he is our Lord by the very life we lead. May, us, may we serve God with humility. May we serve God according to his love and his enablement. May we serve God and be doers of his will. Will you pray with me? We thank you today, Lord. Thank you at this time for being with us. Help us, Lord, to understand your will, not be ignorant, but understand your will and to do it. Help us to follow the examples that you give us in Scripture that are good examples for us. We thank you for the example of those women at the empty tomb. Help us, Lord, to be more like that. Kind, generous, caring, even putting ourselves out for others. We thank you, Lord, for the example in a marriage of Elkanah and Hannah, that he loved her, had nothing to do with anything except that he loved her. The circumstance didn't matter. Elkanah loved Hannah. Thank you for that example, Lord. Please be with us as we go forward in this day. Thank you, Lord, for so great a grace and for such unfailing love. I ask these things according to him who is the Lord of the universe, Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.